You're listening to Divorce Happy Hour with your host, Christina Previtt. And John Nocklinger. We're two divorce lawyers from New Jersey here to talk about love, life, and divorce. Whether you're thinking about divorce, going through one now, or been there, done that, or if you're just a divorce lawyer, this show is for you. To learn more about us and our law firm, you can find us at centraljerseyfamilylaw.com. You can also find us on social media. Just search for NJ Divorce Solutions on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Let us know if you like the show or hate the show and what topics you'd like us to cover in the future. Please keep in mind that this show is for informational purposes only. It's not intended to take the place of legal advice. If you need legal advice, please call New Jersey Divorce Solutions at 732-384-1550 and mention this program for a free consultation. Welcome back. Today we have an incredible show for you. We're going to be discussing what your divorce attorney won't tell you. Mm-hmm. And it might not be pretty. So if you're sensitive, you might want to change the channel. <laughs> yeah, we might. There might be <laughs> people might get a little wet. Put on a poncho. It's going to be mm-hmm. messy. But before we get to that, let's go through some interesting things in the news. I know we've talked about this before on the show, but Wendy Williams has filed for divorce from her husband of 20 years. Who's her attorney? Let's see. Um, we don't want to advertise for them. Never mind. <laughs> you tell me later. <laughs> <laughs> I always wonder how they find their attorneys. So there's been weeks of speculation about their marriage, and she's 54 years old. Oh, wow. She looks younger than that. Yeah, I think so, too. She looks really good. You know, she went through this whole sober house situation for a month. Do you think that was just uh, as a cover for this, or do you think she was no, really having problems? I think that everything, this was all a culmination of things that have been probably going on for a long time. Well, she said in early May on her show that, quote, I'm very I'm still very much in love with my husband. I'm still wearing my ring, end quote. What? Well, that leads me to believe that he's the one who wants the divorce, not her. Well, Didn't he father a child with someone else recently? Like this woman's pregnant or just had a baby? Yes, yes. I mean, and, I don't know. I don't know how you get past that. Well, everyone everyone has their own reality, right? What's yeah. what's important to them? And maybe she was going through so many personal issues that, you know, divorcing her husband wasn't really high on the list. Maybe she's gone through her, you know, personal issues and now she's ready to move on from this guy. Well, maybe the point she's trying to make is that I do love him, but love is not enough. You have there's other things that you have to have in a healthy marriage and it's, it can't just be that you love them. So sometimes we may love someone, but we still have to end the relationship because you know, you're not being respected or you're not getting other basic things out of it. Oh, I agree. I just talked to a client today who uh, didn't want to move forward with a divorce because even though uh, their spouse was a great person and their spouse was a great parent and was nice and did all the Mm -hmm. right things, they hadn't been intimate in five or six years. And basically they were glorified roommates. Yeah, yeah, I, I that is very, very common. I hear that a lot. And I hear it for varying periods of time. I hear it for a few months or I hear it, you know, 10 years. There was one client that I had, they hadn't had 10 years. That's such a long time. I mean, that's the penalty for your third DWI. <laughs> oh my God. Loss of license. <laughs> Well, I don't understand. Were they living in the... Were they, they were living in the same house. They were in separate rooms and 10 years. Separate ten rooms. years. And 
I know there are people listening to this who have ex- are experiencing this right now. And what's the I'm point? just going to tell you, it's not normal. So if you're staying in that situation, it's because, you know, you're afraid to move on. I did read something a couple days ago about a sleeping divorce. What is that? Where people now, instead of actually getting divorced, they're just moving into separate bedrooms. And, and that's, that's denial, okay? That's, I think it is. that's avoidance. That's avoiding. That's like pulling off the Band-Aid slowly. Well, Just rip that thing off. You don't know how much longer you have in this world. You should live your best life, right? So if you're in this miserable relationship, why, why are you living in, in the house in separate rooms? Well, speaking of people that, who are getting divorced, Jeff Bezos and his wife Mackenzie – officially filed for divorce after 25 years of marriage, and they did what we preach all the time. They reached an agreement before they filed for divorce. Yes, that is the the best way to do it. So what did you think about the fact that she did get about 25% of the Amazon stock, but her stock, the voting rights, are still with her husband, soon-to-be ex-husband? I think that makes sense. I'm sure she got extra somewhere else. To compensate for, I, I don't know. And I think, in, where is that? Is that California? Is that it's in a community property state, right? Yeah, I think they're in California, somewhere on the west coast. So I'm assuming that she was entitled to fifty percent, but I don't actually know that for a fact. But because it is a cum- community property state, I think she was probably entitled to half. So the fact that she compromised and took twenty five percent leads me to believe that she probably got extra somewhere else. You know, she got compensated in some way for getting less than half. And I do think that it makes sense for only one of them to have the voting rights, especially if their relationship isn't particularly amicable right now, because it might not be. I think they're putting on a good face for the public, but I don't know what's really going on between them. Well, I was very interested in the statement. Uh, He put out a statement, and I quote, I'm grateful for her support and her kindness in this process, and I'm very much looking forward to our new relationship as friends and co-parents. In all of our work together, Mackenzie's abilities have been on full display. She has been an extraordinary partner, ally, and mother. She is resourceful and brilliant and loving. And as our futures unroll, I know I'll always be learning from her. I love that. That's wonderful. And I hope that he genuinely meant all of that because that would be a really good example for everyone. But I I will point out, we didn't hear that until the divorce was signed. Right. So I think that's very interesting. Maybe that was part of the divorce. You have to put out this statement. Yes, I, I believe that it may have been. I don't know, but I think... I think there's a good chance that this was part of their agreement because she also issued a statement too afterward. And her statement said specifically, I don't have voting rights. I think we've talked about this before on the show. And I suspect that the reason for that was any potential damage control for the stock, stock price and the value of the company or management, management reasons. What do you think? Do you think I'm just being paranoid? No, I think you're, I think you're right. I mean, although I, I wonder how much of this is they were scared of her in particular having having any voting rights versus Jeff just Jeff Bezos not just having as much voting rights. I don't really know how their company is structured and perhaps they were just scared of something happening if he didn't have all the rights. But clearly she's not interested in running the company. Yeah, I mean I was going to say she we don't know what she plans to do. She might have um well, you know, they have other kids, right? 
Are you kidding me? I'm ready to punch you in the face right now. Are you suggesting that she has to f- no. focus on her mothering? But I'm saying maybe she, maybe <laughs> she No, what I'm saying is maybe she chose to do that or maybe she's chosen no, to do that. Well, what I was getting at is that maybe she has other business interests. Maybe there's something else because she's not I don't think she was like a stay-at-home mom. No, I I think she helped I think build she this was involved the in the business. So I'm curious I would I can't wait to see if we find out that she's got some other projects in the works. Yeah, so there's f- the five biggest divorces in history, they're now number 1. Really? Yeah. Well, how do, what do they mean big? The most money involved? The most money exchanged. So in this case it was 35 billion dollars. Does it say what the other ones were? Yeah, so number two was it Bill and Sue Gross. Who's the, that? I don't know they, who that is. This was in 2016. Um, he was the co-founder of an asset managing company called Pimpco, which I guess is like a hedge fund. And that was $1.3 billion. So they were $35 billion. The next closest one was wow. $1.3 billion. Wow. Then after that was Steve and Elaine Wynn, you know, from, okay. you know, and, and that was $850 million. Number four was... Harold Hamm and Sue Ann Arnold, an oil tycoon. I don't know where they got their money from. You know, one of those companies from way back in the 80s and 90s, whenever oil was being pumped out everywhere. It was $975 million. And finally, number five was Roy and Patricia Disney. Oh. Which is, Roy is a nephew of Walt Disney. And that was $600 million. Hmm. So there haven't been a bunch of really big divorces. I mean, really big being like a billion dollars or more more than that. Yeah. Well, we should all have those problems. <laughs> Maybe when you get that rich, you're just like, I'll, you know, you stay on the west side of the country. I'll stay on the east side of the country. And we'll each have our own houses and we don't have to look at each other. Well, they they may have done that for a while and you just don't know. It's true. Well, you'll be very happy to hear that of the Time Magazine's list of the 100 most influential people of the year – 48 of the 100 are women, which Ooh. is the most that have ever been there. I love how they say- 48. I, they couldn't I, have found a couple more? I know. But I love the headline. It says, uh, almost half of the 100 are women. They couldn't have found three more? Isn't that Really crazy? time? I know. For shame. So some of the people on this list were actress Sandra Oh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, pop star Taylor Swift, and CBS, CBS host Gail King. Hmm. Also, Michelle Obama, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, you remember her, mm-hmm. and uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Did I say that right? Ocasio? I, I think everyone calls her ACO. Oh, really? Yeah. So she's like a J-Lo now? Yeah. She's got her own initials. That's all it takes. I always wonder how they come up with these lists. Yeah, I'm curious about that, too. It's like they just put a bunch of names out there, and they like everyone goes around the table and says, oh, I want this one, I want this one. Like... Beyonce and Michelle Obama are probably on the list every year because, I mean, if it's by name recognition, you're always going to select those people. Is Kim Kardashian on the list? Well, there, she's not in this article. She might be on the list. I'm just curious. Or Kris Jenner. Yeah, maybe. But, like, Gail King's an interesting one. Well, did you see um, the documentary about R. Kelly? No, I haven't. Did because you? Because she interviewed him, and he acted like a complete fool in this interview. And she really maintained her composure very well. And asked him the right questions, and she did a really great job. So I'm wondering if that's partly why she's on that list. Yeah, it might be. 
Might be. I, again, I don't know where they get these lists from. It's kind of like the person of the year. I've never understood. Because, I mean, I, I've heard in the past, like, Adolf Hitler was person of the year back in the 40s. Yeah, so. it's not always a positive. Um, it's not always someone who's done something right. positive. So I don't know where they get that. I don't even know who makes the decision. But So this is an interesting article I found out of Cook County, Illinois, where a lot of interesting things happen. Chicago mm-hmm. is a very interesting town. So there was a law firm there who did a divorce of a wealthy person. And apparently the retainer agreement said that if they got a certain result, they would get a bonus on top of their on oh. top of their retainer. The client said that or the employer told uh, the, the attorney that? No, so the attorney had a retainer agreement with the client mm-hmm. that if they got a certain result for this client, oh, okay. the client would pay them a bonus. So they asked for a nine point seven five million dollar bonus. What was that? What were they? And what were they supposed to do for that? Uh, that full see. custody, like what? I don't know what they did, but I will tell you. So the law firm filed for uh, filed a lawsuit for breach of contract. Mm. They said that they were entitled to the bonus under a 2015 retainer agreement. The contract allowed extra fees beyond hourly charges for time and labor required, the novelty and difficulty of the questions involved, and the skills requisite to perform the legal services properly. I don't think that would be allowed in New Jersey. I don't either. Well, apparently it might not be allowed in Illinois either. So apparently there's a legal ethics rule that bans unreasonable fees and prohibits fees that are contingent on securing a divorce or that are based on the amount of alimony or property settlement in a divorce according to the Chicago Tribune. Yeah, that's basically how it is in Jersey, and I don't think that would be allowed. No, so public service announcement. If you have an attorney that's telling you, if I get you a certain result, I want you to pay me a bonus, know that it is highly unlikely to be ethical, and you should be... In divorce cases. In divorce cases, You can do that in other cases, but you cannot do that in divorce cases. Yeah, we have a lot of of special rules in divorce that are... Not not the same in, in other parts of it's the It's to protect profession. families. Right. It it's is. almost kind of like uh, rules against predatory lending and consumer protection. Like the same kind of theory is to protect the client. So have you been following the um, ongoing college admissions scandal? All I know now is that Felicity Huffman worked at a deal, but now I guess she hasn't been sentenced yet. I thought she was going to get probation. I thought that was part of the plea bargain. Well, I think they thought that she would only get probation because she's never been, she's not been in trouble before. But uh, apparently that might not be the case. There might be backlash. They need to make some examples of some of these people. Well, you know, I was thinking about that. And... What do you think? Do you think that she should serve some jail time or do you think what's happened to her already is punishment enough? Or do you think that it doesn't matter what her personal punishment is? If Should we be setting an example for other people by requiring her to serve some jail time? If you look at the two most prominent actresses, Lori Loughlin and, and Felicity Huffman, Lori Loughlin has behaved so much worse in my opinion, than Felicity Well, she hasn't Huffman. demonstrated any remorse. Well, that's really the thing. And her, and it was so much more egregious what she did. Yes. She paid a lot more money. Um, and I think Felicity Huffman was quick to say, I screwed up, plead guilty, move on. I, I think it would be very odd if they sentenced her to prison. Because if they do, Lori Laughlin's in big trouble. Yes. I I don't under, I would love to know what is being discussed behind closed doors with Lori and her husband. I would love to know what what they're doing if they're just 
digging in their heels and being resistant, you know, insisting that they didn't do anything wrong or, you know, being like spoiled children and just insisting they want what they want because that's what I suspect is happening. But I don't know. I'm kind of curious what they're talking about behind closed doors. Because if that's the attitude that she has, I think she's going to be woefully disappointed with the outcome. Well, you know, we have clients all the time that we tell them, in our professional opinion, what they should do. And they say, I'm not going to do that. No, they say they're not going to do that. And I guess this could be part of our conversation for the show. But then later, sometimes when they don't listen to you, and then they end up litigating for 12 months, and then... Ordinarily, they end up doing what you had recommended right from the very beginning, but except that now they spend tens of th- spent tens of thousands of dollars to get there when they could have been done a long time ago, and sometimes they'll blame that on us that you know we're somehow responsible for that, and that's always very frustrating. Very frustrating. So finally, do you know what is messing up your sleeping habits? Probably looking at my cell phone and my iPad before I go to bed. That is one of the things on the list, believe mm-hmm. it or not. Other things on the list, the drink, drinking a cup of coffee after dinner. Yeah. Well, after dinner. Yeah. I've not, a lot of people I do that. I get decaf. What is, what's the point? Well, I think for me, sometimes it's drinking coffee too late in the day. Oh, that's so, true. you know, I'd love to have some coffee now, but we're recording this, so it's, it's late. It's well, a little too late in the day. So apparently working out at night. Can interfere? I've read that sometimes working out at night can actually help you to go to sleep. And I found that to be true. I think it depends what I do, though. If I go running at night, I do find that I I can go to sleep better. I'm just tired. Well, I'll tell you, working out in the morning, by the time it's nighttime, I'm, like, passing out. Yeah. Like, like this morning, I got up early and went to the gym. Guarantee you tonight I'm going to put my head on my pillow. I'll be sleeping five minutes. Well, I think working out does something to your system. I can't be more technical than that, but it helps you. It helps everything in your body move move more Christina, I thought you were a doctor. Come on. I should have been. (laughs) Too late for that now. Drinking a few too many nightcaps. Yes, I've heard that too. Apparently, I, I think it helps you like fall asleep, but then your sleep pattern is really bad. Yes, alcohol is a biphasic drug. So I knew you were a doctor. <laughs> I knew we were going to get to it. Initially, it it has one effect, and then it has a different effect. So that's that's my technical explanation for that. Um, but yeah, it'll make you tired, but it'll it will interrupt your sleep. Eating your last meal right before you go to bed. So going to bed with a really full stomach. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, thinking about work problems as you're laying in bed. Actually, I, th- I think that's thinking of any problems. Like, you know, you'll sit in bed and you'll just think about something that's going on and it'll just get into your head. Well, and... that's why people should meditate mm-hmm. before they go to bed. You'll have to show me how to do that later. Mm-hmm. Taking sleeping aids to help you drift off. What? Apparently some sleeping aids... Uh, don't let it's kind of like alcohol they they let let you go to sleep but then your sleeping patterns aren't very good you don't get you don't get that deep sleep i was just reading something about cbd oil that that can be a sleep aid what is that it's something that is in mar- the marijuana plant the hemp plant actually because i from what i was reading there's actually a different plant that's cultivated specifically to make you know marijuana that people smoke um, but CBD oil comes from the hemp plant, and it does. It has like a tiny little trace amount of THC in it 
THC is what makes you feel high, but it's got this other element called CBD. I forget what that stands for. And it has, well, allegedly, it's a, it's only a dietary supplement, so it's not subject to the same FDA requirements. But supposedly, it, it can be used as a sleep aid. It can be used for arthritis. I, I've seen documentaries where it's been effective treating children who have a certain type of epilepsy. Really? Yeah. So it's it'll it'll be interesting to see how this evolves now that it's you know coming to the forefront more recently. Have you ever heard of it? No, but now after this show, I'm sure people are going to be running out trying to get some. Well, I mean, it it might be they're not going to get high. So if you're getting it to get high, you're wasting your time. You might as well go have a martini. <laughs> but apparently, if you have arthritis or if you have, um, some people claim that it it can be effective treating depression and anxiety. So I don't know. I'm kind of curious maybe to try it myself just um, for anti-inflammatory properties in your body. You should. And then we'll report back. Yes, I'll report back. (laughs) So our show today is about what your divorce attorney won't tell you. And we already kind of started talking a little bit about this. And really what we want to talk about today are the things that go on sort of behind the scenes that your divorce attorney's thinking about, they're doing. Um, but not necessarily always telling you for a variety of reasons. And you'll understand more as we talk about some of these things. But I'll, I'm going to start with my favorite one, which is I'm not your therapist. Yeah. Um, I. It's funny we, we say things your divorce attorney won't tell you. I say that to people. I'm not your therapist. But most divorce attorneys won't tell you. Because if they have you on the phone telling your story for the umpteenth millionth time, they're billing for it. Yeah, you have to hear the same story again and again. And the other thing, too, is that a lot of what clients want to talk about and tell you, it's not even relevant. You know, I don't and I don't mean to sound insensitive, but I don't need to hear that your spouse cheated on you. You've told me. I know it's not relevant. It's just not. And I think people, they, when they get caught up in, in their story, you know, in, in what has happened to them and how they've been wronged, and they're very emotional about it, and that's normal. But you should really be very selective about who you, who you want to vent to. Don't vent to your attorney. They're charging you a lot of money. You don't need to vent to them. Vent to your friends. Go to a therapist. Go talk to yourself. <laughs> I don't know. but Oh, I think if you start a divorce, you should go get a therapist. Absolutely. I, mean, I think everyone who's in, who's getting going through something like that, really emotional, challenging experience, they should have a therapist. They need someone objective. You know, don't listen to your friends. They don't know what they're talking about. I'm sure they're very nice people, but they don't know what they're talking about. And if they went through a divorce, maybe they can relate on some level to what you're experiencing. But their divorce was different. Nobody's, I think I've said on this show, divorces are like snowflakes, right? There's no (laughs) two alike. And, you know, you're, you're experiencing your divorce uniquely in your own way. So your friends and whatever their outcome was or whatever happened to them is really kind of irrelevant to what whatever you're going through. So that's why I think you should see a therapist because they're objective. They're completely removed from the situation. You know, they don't know the people involved and they can just give you that objective feedback. Yeah. And that's not to say your divorce attorney is going to be insensitive and not want to listen to everything that's going Mm -hmm. on. But I think what we're talking about is you don't need to tell the same story 
15 times. Uh, every time you start talking about any issue, we don't need to re- be reminded about the affair and what what the other person's name was that they were having the affair with and all the circumstances around it and the fact that your kids hate that person. And, you know, we don't need to hear it all, which kind of goes to the next thing I was thinking about, which is that no matter how many times you tell your attorney the same story, you're going to get billed the same. So you're going to be paying for the privilege of telling this other person this same story, which, as you just said, Christina, has no bearing on anything. So wouldn't that be better to go sit with your friends at a bar and tell that story or go see a therapist and pay a copay to go tell that story? Well, I think when people get it into their head, you know, there's something that triggers it and now they're thinking about it. It's almost like they don't have control over themselves. They get so angry and so emotional that they just react and start talking and start talking about that. And again, you know, we're all human beings. We understand that you're not expected to be a robot, but be mindful. And we're, we are sharing with you the dirty little secrets. And this is one of them. Your attorney doesn't want to hear it. So there you go. No, absolutely. And they're not going to tell you that on the phone. Hey, lady, I know I, you told me this already. They're not going to say that because it's you know insensitive. It may be rude. We don't want to offend you. But I'll tell you what, they're thinking it. They are thinking it. But a good attorney is going to tell you that it doesn't matter why you're getting divorced, which kind of all ties into this. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. And, you know, really inexperienced attorneys or attorneys that don't really do this are going to tell you, oh, yeah, we should plead for adultery or we should we should outline all the ways that your your husband was horrible to you or all the ways your wife was horrible to you in your complaint. And it has no bearing on anything. So People just want it because they know it's public record. Also, unless you're a celebrity, no one's ever going to read it. No <laughs> one cares. Except They're not going to go to the courthouse and get the complaint. Except maybe your kids might accidentally see it, and yeah, that's the last person you want to see. see it. Um, you know, I always say that if it becomes a public record, it could potentially be embarrassing to both of you. You never know what is going to happen in the future. You may not want people to see those things. But I do still occasionally get a client who insists that they want extreme cruelty in there or they want adultery because they want the other, you know, the, what do they call them? The um, co-respondent. Yes, the co-respondent. That's the other woman or the other man. Um, they have to be served with the complaint and they get some some small pleasure out of that. But I really just think it's a waste of time. There's other ways to get pleasure than doing that. Yeah. There's a lot of other ways. Well, but at the end of the day, if that's what they want to do, that's fine. And one thing I think most attorneys won't tell you is we're not friends. You know, you're a client. This is a business transaction. I'm trying to help you through a divorce, but we're not friends. A lot of people get really attached to their divorce attorney. Yeah. And that's why they feel like they need to tell the same story over and over again. Yeah, well, you're talking about intimate things. You know, you're talking about things they that they don't just volunteer to anyone. You know, maybe talking about finances. Might Some of that might not be pleasant. There might be embarrassing things that they have to say about their finances, like maybe that they're having a hard time keeping up with the Joneses, that, you mm. know, they have a lot of debt, um, that they're behind on their mortgage payments, whatever the case may be, um, that, that they don't have as much as, you know, maybe the rest of the world thinks they have, um, that, you know, they're not having it 
or they're in separate rooms or, you know, maybe something freaky is going on <laughs> every <laughs> once in a while we get that. But, um, you know, those are intimate topics. And because we talk about those things, I think you do, you kind of have like an intimate relationship with the client. But that's just necessary really to further the case. And it doesn't mean we're friends. And I think you should want to maintain some professionalism between yourself and the attorney because if the attorney is emotionally involved, they really can't be effective. That's why you should really shouldn't hire friends. And, you know, I've, I've seen post-judgment cases where someone's now dating someone new and the new boyfriend, will say, is an attorney. And he's now getting involved in preparing her her papers. And I don't think it ever goes well because that person now is emotionally involved too. Yeah, you want your attorney to be objective. Yes. You want them to tell you the truth. Like, hey, you know, your your position is not reasonable. You're not going to get that. You don't want your attorney to be mindful of your feelings. You want them to tell you as like it is. Um, anyone who's being told exactly what they want to hear is always in for disappointment. They just are because if you're hearing exactly what you want to hear, more times than not, you're going to have to make a compromise somewhere along the way to get the case settled. And if you're just being spoon-fed, you know, like a, something like, oh, you're absolutely never going to pay alimony when you make like twice as much as your spouse, something like that. When you find out that you end up having to pay alimony – if you become way too close with your attorney, your attorney's been way too close with you, both of you may resist the temptation to finally compromise because there's this need to continue to convey this this reality that you're not going to pay any alimony. Yeah, I mean, some attorneys will tell you just what you want to hear at the initial consultation. I think a lot do. The, because they want you to retain them. They're They're trying to make a sale. They're trying to get you to sign and hand over a check. And then later is when you find out, well, you know, things are, you know, not really working towards what we had originally discussed. Or they think you'll forget about it. Oh, you didn't tell me all that when we met. Yeah, or they'll find some excuse, you know, to explain it away. So if you go to an attorney and and you leave there feeling like you won the lottery, something went wrong. You should probably go see at least two other attorneys and see if they agree. Yeah, and if uh, there's an outlier, one person's telling you you're going to get everything you want, the other two are like, mm, not so fast, the other two are probably correct. I'm yeah. not saying that's always the case, but it's probably I mean, the You case. shouldn't leave you know, feeling like you're going to lose everything, but if someone's just telling you like what a great result you're going to get, I, I think that's probably not accurate. And I know at least we're not going to tell you that you can send as many Facebook requests as you want. We're not going to become your friends during the case. And let me tell you why. At least I, I never would. Do you get face friend, ref, uh, friend requests from all the clients? Time. All the time. Yeah, I, I just um, ignore that's, them. That's indicative of how close they start to feel to you. That they can, And I think people have – Facebook's become interesting. It's such a useful place to get information about people now, particularly when people are divorced – how many times have you been able to prove cohabitation in part by looking at Facebook posts? Oh, yeah, almost you know, always. Pictures on vacation, you know, pictures where someone says, you know, jokingly says my fiance or my my wife when, you know, you're not really married, but use it. In yeah, or, or the extent of their relationship that they're going on vacations together. They went to a wedding together. 
you know, they went to some family member's graduation, you know, just significant events like that when they're trying to act like the relationship is insignificant. Yeah. And the last thing you want is your attorney ending up in the comment section of a post that ends up as an exhibit in court. I don't think that would turn out very well. But, you know, these social media has become an interesting place where a lot of people, you know, become virtual friends these days. And at least in our office, you know, we're very mindful of that because you do want that separation because it becomes, you know, particularly we're going to talk about money at some point during this conversation. But when you have to ask your client to pay their bill, you don't want to be like, oh, come on, Christina. You know, remember. Times that, are tough. Uh, and you, I thought we were friends. Yeah. They, because, I mean, they don't say that, but that's sort of the attitude that you get. And it's like, sorry, but I'm running a business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm providing you a valuable service. And I expect you to pay for that. Yeah. I mean, how many people would go to work and not expect to get their paycheck? If anybody would do that, please call me. <laughs> we may have a position for you. <laughs> <laughs> but that it's really the same thing and I and I think I feel like a lot of clients almost get personally offended when you have to have a conversation with them about their bill. And I really have a hard time grasping it because I don't understand why they would think that we should not be paid for the services that are rendered. I I would love to get an explanation for this from someone. Because there's a subjective opinion about how much it should cost is what I really think it is. You know, people think something should cost, you know, $2,000 or $3,000 or $4,000 because my friend down the street had a divorce, and it only cost $2,500. Yeah, so stop comparing yourself to your friends. We covered that already. That's you got to stop doing that. And our, and our favorite, of course, these days is, well, I paid $7,000 and nothing happened. Yes, nothing happened. Well, nothing you, happened. you got a divorce. You got a good agreement. You got you know primary custody of your kids. You got the alimony you wanted. But no, nothing happened. Well, I think what happens is that people are in their story – And, you know, they're in that emotional place where they're not really making a business decision because that's what a divorce is. It's a business decision. But people don't treat it like it's a business decision. And they get very emotional. And I think time goes by and, you know, they're in their emotional place and they're not making business decisions. And before you know it, they're 10 months in and they've they've spent $15,000. And then I think they get to a place where they just get exhausted. And they just want to be done. And so they do settle at that point. And, and now they're willing to compromise. But what they don't realize is that those compromises they make on month 10 or month 12 or month 18, they could have made the very same compromises earlier and they would have been able to settle. Now, again, I know that the other side is, you know, going through, through their own experience too. So along the way, you know, both sides, I think, become a little more willing to compromise. So maybe it's not totally fair to say that the very same agreement you reach on month 12, you could have done on month six. But but I think the sentiment is the same. If you were willing to compromise earlier, then you would have been able to most likely settle the case. You would have saved yourself a lot of money in council fees. You would have been done sooner. You would have just been over it sooner. And I think a lot of people have remorse when they get to that place where it's done and they look back and and they realize, well, God, why did 
why did it take so long to do this? You know, it seems so easy when they're done, right? But then they look back, why did I have to take 18 months to do this? Why did I have to pay you, Christina? Why did I have to pay you, you know, $20,000? And and I'm a very big believer in personal accountability. And I think it's something that is lacking in our world. And I'm going to get on my soapbox, but I think people don't take personal responsibility, personal accountability for what happens to them. They blame everyone else. It's never their fault. It's never their fault that the case didn't settle. It's never their fault that, you know, that it didn't settle sooner. So they have to find someone to blame. Sometimes that's us because we're convenient. Sometimes it's their other spouse. Often it's the other spouse or it's the other other spouse's attorney or it's, you know, somebody else. Just pick somebody. The judge. (laughs) Yeah, it's the judge. It's always someone else. It's never them. So, you know, again, the theme of this show is what your lawyers don't tell you. Well, we're telling you that if you are, if you find yourself sitting around thinking about how your attorney did a lousy job, the judge is a terrible person and he hates you, um, you know, your spouse is an idiot. What did you do in all of this process? Like, where do you fit in all of this? Because I can guarantee you. It's not everybody else. Is Are there some shortcomings on, on the part of other people? Perhaps. But it's not everybody else. So if you find yourself constantly complaining about everybody around you, you probably need to take a hard look at yourself and what you're doing and what you're contributing to that. I agree. A lot of people will be happy when they leave the courthouse that they got an agreement that they're happy with. And then they'll go home and they'll talk to their friends and their family and Start to think, you know, the buyer's remorse. We see that all the time. And now all of a sudden, this attorney that you thought did a great job for you two days ago is now the scum of the earth, has overcharged you, did absolutely nothing for you, and overbilled you. Yeah, and you know, it's easy for those other people to say, well, you shouldn't have settled for that. You should have got more. It's easy for them to say that. They're not the ones doing it. They're That's not, not the life. ones living it. They're not, not the life. ones paying for it. They're not the ones who have to live with the result. Absolutely. You are. So we were, you were just talking about you know, the process and how if you settle early on, you can pay a little bit less money and get over, your case over with quickly. Something your divorce attorney won't tell you is that along the way, you'll probably be getting a lot of emails from your divorce attorney where they're going to be just – look like they're just repeating something they already told you or mm-hmm. they're going to be pointing things out. And let me tell you what those are. Those are what we call CYA, which is cover your rear end. Cover your – I, I think we can say okay. that word, but I'm not taking any chances. Yeah, let's not because I don't want it bleeped. Who knows? Um, yes. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Explain that. Yeah. So the CYA emails are really so that the attorney can later on, whenever you're complaining that things have gone on too long or you did something wrong or we should have settled for X, Y, and Z, they can go back and say, I emailed you six months ago and I told you here's what we should do. And you confirmed that we're not doing that. Um, and those are really the point of those emails. They're also later on. So if down the road you say something inappropriate happened in your case, there's a clear record of what your attorney told I you. Mean, but those are really – they're really as much for the attorney as they are for you. They're really I meant mean, they're so you can all, see it again. They're not all CYA. I don't want well, no, people no. to think every time they get an email at CYA. No, no, but no. it is part of there's the a reason. Lot. There's a lot. And 
I've heard this talked about in the context of of medicine is that um, it's called defense practicing defensive medicine. Why a lot of doctors have to engage in additional testing that maybe they don't really think is necessary, but they're ordering it because they don't want to be the one later getting sued because, you know, you didn't find something. If if only you had done an X-ray or a CAT scan, you would have found that. Um, and unfortunately, it drives up the cost of insurance and and medical bills. But I'm not going to get that's a whole other subject. But it's kind <laughs> of the same thing. It, you know, it's always making sure that we're protecting ourselves against accusations by a client that we did something wrong, that we have somehow caused all of their problems, that we are somehow to blame and it happens. And it, ha- it could happen with a client who absolutely adores you one minute. And by the end of their case, they hate you. And you're the reason for all of their problems. I've seen it happen. And it's very unfortunate. But this is the way that attorneys have to practice because this happens. Well, it's good to be able to go back and say, well, let's go back and look at that email of let's January go back to the video 20th. Tape. And let's go back to the video tape. Where I told you this. And you didn't listen to me. And now when you're upset that this happened that I told you would probably happen, let's go back and look at the email where I told you it was going to happen. Well, that usually just makes them more mad because they realize that you were right and they're just angry. They're just looking, like I said earlier, they're just looking for someone to blame. So I know I sound bitter, but I had a couple of these today. So (laughs) it's fresh. Um, It's frustrating because we try our best to guide people through the process and give them advice. You know, there's not always a right or a wrong answer to something. You know, you make your best judgments. And we've been doing this a long time. So we have that the level of experience behind us. And you make the best decision you can. You help your client do that. And what I was trying to explain to someone today is that getting a divorce isn't pleasant. There's no way for me to make it pleasant. There's no way for me to make you so happy at the end. It's not possible. But what I can try to help you do is guide you, give you advice, help you make decisions so that you can get done and, you know, hopefully be on your way to a better place and being happier. I, to me, that's a good result. But I think a lot of people are, they're expecting something at the end, you know, like happiness or revenge or everything on on that list that they wanted. And it's just most of the time, it's just not realistic. So I think that's really where the level of dissatisfaction comes from. Well, if they listen to their attorney throughout the process, they probably were told at some point that they're not going to get those things. So hopefully if they have a good attorney, hopefully, I mean, would you go to your doctor and your doctor diagnoses you with something? You'd be like, "Mm, I don't agree with you. I I read something somewhere else. I heard somebody else with the same symptoms. You know, I'm sure people do that. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do that. I'm certainly sure it's not as much as what we go through. The way that I explained it to this person was if you go to a doctor and you have cancer and I can't cure your cancer, well, I can't really get you a good result. You know, you're still going to leave with cancer, but maybe I can help your suffering. Maybe I can extend your life. You know, maybe there are other things that I can do to make this experience not happy, but less painful for you. That is what I see as the goal in a divorce. There's no way to make anybody happy when they leave. You're not going to be happy. Don't expect that. 
you know, unless you're running away from someone you really hate. Yeah, I mean, well, it, it also do, it depends on the client's mindset. So if they really are like, hey, you know what, there's one lady in particular, obviously I can't say her name, but there's this one lady that I remember who was, she just always had such a positive attitude throughout the entire thing. She didn't want the divorce and she just accepted it, you know, that this is happening and I don't want it, but I really just want it to be done. And I, you know, just need certain minimal things, you know, like in in terms of finances, I just need these things and I'm going to move and I'm going to be okay. And as long as I can have those and they were very reasonable, I just want to be done. And she just had such a positive attitude the whole time. And again, she didn't want it. But she just was really positive the whole time. And I, I really admired that about her. She, I was like, whatever you're taking, I need some of that. because Maybe she meditated. You know, maybe she did. I should call her up and ask her. Maybe that was the key. But, it, you know, she had already decided that I'm going to be okay and I'm not going to let this destroy me. And I'm just going to go on and live my life. And I, everybody could do that. Everybody could do that. It's all what's whatever they're telling themselves in their own head. I agree. So another thing that I don't think your divorce attorney will necessarily tell you is that I have a life outside of work and your emergency can wait until Monday. Well, it's not an even better suggestion. It's not an emergency. Yeah, I was going to say. You, you, let me tell you, you don't have an emergency. There's no such thing as a divorce emergency. Okay? So... If it's the weekend, there is nothing that has happened that your attorney has to make himself or herself available. If it's really an emergency, you should be calling 911, right? Yeah. I mean, can you think of anything that's truly an emergency? Isn't the definition of an emergency something that cannot wait? That something that But is- in divorce world, is there something? I remember I had one lady call me frantically on her cell phone, and this is part of the reason I don't give my cell phone number out anymore. She call, kept calling my phone, so finally I answered her, thinking, oh, my gosh, something terrible must have happened. She was calling because her cable got turned off, because her husband didn't pay the bill. That was the emergency. Well, maybe Game of Thrones was coming on, and yeah. she was very upset. <laughs> you know what? Pay the damn bill. Just pay the damn bill, and we'll get reimbursed later. Figure it out later I on. Mean, this is my, what my brilliant legal mind had to come up with. <laughs> no, well, you know, we talk a lot. We talk a lot about con- conditioning clients from the very beginning to understand like when they should have be have access to their attorney, and that really it's business hours, Monday through Friday, nine to five. That's when we can actually do things for our clients. We can go into court. Actually, it's not even nine to five. It's eight thirty to four thirty. Those are the only hours we can actually do anything. The rest of the time, all we can do is talk to you. Anything else that would be an emergency, you can call the police. You can go to the police station. You can do all those things. Or pay the cable bill. Pay the cable bill. But I just don't know that a lot of divorce attorneys tell their clients that. um, And I think it makes some people upset when they realize, okay, well, I sent you an email on Friday and you're not responding until Monday. And they get all upset about it and not realizing, listen, my attorney, I know I'm paying them a lot of money, but they're a person. They have a family. They have a life. They're entitled to not have to work. They have a personal life, and you want them to have some free time because that's when you you relax and decompress, so that you can be fresh. You know, Monday morning. Yeah, you want your attorney fresh. (laughs) I mean, do you want like a tired attorney lumping into court like half asleep? You know, the only thing I can think of that maybe 
is urgent is if formerly DIFAS, now it's called DCP and P, DCP and P. Um, maybe if they come to the house, you know, maybe that's something that's more urgent that you might need to speak to an attorney. I really can't think of anything else. I really can't either. I mean, um, not from a divorce perspective. If you get arrested for some reason, unless your attorney practices criminal law, they're not really going to be able to do much for you there either. Yeah. Well, I think it's something that you need to be aware of when you start a start a case that you're not going to be able to just email and get an immediate email back, which, by the way, here's my little soapbox. Emails and text messages are never an emergency, in my opinion. Yeah. Never. I mean, if you're like if someone's dying in your house, do you try to email anybody about it? I well, mean, you pick up the phone. Yeah, but, right? but you know what the, what society we live in right now? Everyone's sending emails and text messages instead of picking up the phone and calling people. Yeah. I mean, that's why people will text me at like 10 a.m. and they'll be upset I didn't respond at 3. I'm like, text messages are not... But I do that. <laughs> well, I'm I'm trying to talk to you without using your name. <laughs> but it's not an emergency. It, I mean, by its very nature, a text message or an email is, okay, I'll respond to it when I get to it. If it's an emergency, you want to talk to me, call me. Yeah. Same thing with a client. If it's an emergency, if you think it's an emergency, call the office. Yeah. I mean, if it's business hours and you think it's an emergency, then call the office. I mean, no one's going to get upset for that. But if it's the people that have the expectation that, you know, 10 o'clock at night, I'm going to email you back because you have a question about alimony. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) But um, but I do want to say. You know, we've given a lot of examples about what annoys us and, you know, things that we're, we're thinking that we're not going to tell you. But I do want to say something that we don't think, and because I hear this a lot in consultations, especially from women, but from men too. The person that didn't handle any of the finances, when it comes time to actually talk about the finances, they are embarrassed that they don't know anything. I've had people that didn't even know what banks they had. You know, they didn't know where the where money was just to pay bills, and people are always very embarrassed by that. And I will say, more often it seems to be the woman, but I've seen cases where it was the husband. And I will say that there's no reason to be embarrassed about that. I never think badly of someone who's in that situation. I think that. When you're married, you know, you make, you just have a routine. And sometimes that is one person handling all the finances. And I don't, I think that's just normal and it makes sense. And I don't think anybody should ever be embarrassed about that. Well, there's any number of reasons people do that. I mean, I, in my own marriage, my husband gets too stressed out to handle money. I mean, just too stressed out. If there's a bill and the bank account's a little light, he would just not know what to do. He would need to go take a Xanax and just would. Well, we're would... definitely going to take advantage of him if there's ever a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> Evil laugh. But, but, you know, there's some people that just can't handle money. I, mean, I don't mean they literally can't handle money, but they, it's too stressful for them. It's, it's stressful. Just... They just don't want to deal with it. Maybe they're not good at it. Maybe they just don't pay attention to detail. Yeah, like due dates. Um... On bills. Yeah, dates, or maybe, you know, they just like to spend. They're like, oops, sorry, honey, but I just spent all the money on shoes, oh, I, and now we don't have any. I thought those notices from the IRS were spam. I yeah. threw them out. I didn't open them. <laughs> yeah, I just let that mail pile up on my on the, on the my desk. So an unrelated note, I just another sort of public service announcement. I talked to my mother the other day. So she got this uh, scam call. 
So somebody calling from the Social Security Administration, allegedly, and the caller ID said Social Security Administration. Really? They said that something had happened with her number and she did something bad and she was going to be arrested. And police were going to come arrest her if she didn't go to the bank and transfer money into a gift (gasps) card and send it somewhere. Oh, my God. So what did she do? So she she didn't – and I – she called me as soon as she was off the phone and I go, Mom – Please tell me you did not oh, give God. anyone your social security number. And she goes, no, I didn't. I was what, like, does she think it might have been real? Yeah. So what's going on? And you know my mother, Christina. She's incredibly smart. She, for the split second, thought it might be real and was scared. And I'm thinking to myself, well, first of all, I told her. The I federal- would have been like, send the police over. Well, that's what I told her. <laughs> but you know what? The, the federal government never calls you they always send things in no the mail. if anybody's calling to threaten to arrest you th- that's not real it's not real it's not real but those things happen all the time and I, I just you when we were just talking about this I just wanted to point that out that these scams especially this time of the year with um, tax return season going mm-hmm. on happen all the time if you get any phone call where anyone asks you to transfer money or send them money or give scam. give your social security number or give any kind of personal information like that. Don't do it. It's a scam. I actually had somebody call me um, saying that they were from the IRS and that there was a warrant out for my arrest um, because I owed taxes. And I forget all the details, but I went along with it for a little while. And then I think the guy after a while, he knew that I was, you know, just taking him for a <laughs> ride. I would, and I, even my tone of voice was like, really? Tell me more. And I, it was just silly. And How then do he people get away up. with this stuff? That's what I want to know. They, I don't know. They do. I think it's because people don't know better and they don't report it. Well, the last, the last thing that um, your divorce attorney won't tell you that I wanted to talk about was that you may think that you're having this private conversation with your attorney. But let me tell you what really happens. We... In the in not not outside the office, but within the office, everyone in the office talks about what's going on in your case. Yeah, like the paralegal, the secretary. Yeah. Everyone in the office. Everybody knows. Do you think people have an expectation that that's all private? I. You know how many times I've had people say, "Shut the door," like you know, like really? you know, like they want to be like private. And I've I've talked to other attorneys well, in our office that say the same thing. But everyone talks about your case. It depends what it is. I mean, if someone if someone you know shares something very personal with me, that's not necessarily relevant to the divorce like you know that there's sex tapes in the in the dungeon i mean i don't i don't go running out into the office like hey guess what so and so just told me well but but, But, i mean generally generally. the case yes i mean there yes the people other people in the office know those things yeah so i mean i just think you need to understand that you you might feel like you have this you know private conversation with just your attorney but that attorney's paralegal that attorney's secretary the other attorneys in the office are more than likely going to hear about those things that you're telling your attorney. So just yeah. You know. So I don't know if people think that that doesn't go on, but that's the point of the show. Yeah, right? and I, but I want to clarify. I mean, I think most attorneys keep the um, privilege and confidentiality very. Oh, absolutely. Protected. I mean, I don't go home and no, you know no, talk no, to no, my no, family no. about cases like it's gossip. Just within the office. Yes, just within the office. Because the privilege is in the office. It's yes. not with the ex- 
it's not just with the attorney. It's everyone in the office. There's yeah. a privilege. Well, we hope that this show gave you a little bit of ideas about things your divorce attorney won't tell you and maybe things they should be telling you. So if you have any questions or if you'd like to schedule a consultation with our office, give us a call at 732-384-1550. Mention the show for a free consultation. And you now know all the things that we will tell you if you call our office. That's right. <laughs> and you know we'll be thinking about you. We very much Mind will. your back. <laughs> well, thank you for, so much for joining us, and we will see you next week for another episode.